everybody, and welcome. This is Pastor Morgan. Uh, as you can see, I'm not here with you today. I'm actually down in San Marcos with our sister church, the Springs Church today. But you are in for a treat because we have here today one of my dear friends, my closest friends, Daniel Stevens. Uh, Dan and his wife, Kayla, lead Mid-Cities Church in Midland, Texas. They have a number of sites there and campuses there. And Mid-Cities is an amazing church. They're part of our Every Nation family. Uh, they're a diverse church. They're growing. They're just an influential church in Texas, in our region. So we're honored to have him uh, here with us today. Dan and Kayla have four children. Dan's a great father, a great leader, a great communicator, and you are in for a real treat today. So would you please give a warm welcome, a big mosaic round of applause for my friend, Pastor Daniel Stevens. Oh, good morning. Good morning, mosaic. I'm glad to be with you. My name is Daniel Stevens, and I, uh, we have the same last name as Morgan. We're twins. Um, I, I, we get that everywhere we go. Like, you guys look so much alike, and it's true. Um, and no, we are friends and partners in ministry, and uh, I am so grateful to be a part of Morgan's life, and he and Carrie and their family are amazing. Don't you have great leaders? They're, they're pretty amazing, right? Uh, yeah, let's, so we're excited to be here today. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John 3. We're going to continue on this series, Arrival. Uh, but here in a minute, we're going to be in John, the book of John, chapter 1. So kind of put your finger over there and get ready. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can look at the screens here in a moment. Before we dive into that, I want to just say I'm, I'm grateful uh, to be uh, long, friends with Morgan for a long time. And we've known each other, and uh, we help uh, in our uh, part of our spiritual family and every nation ministry. Uh, we help uh, provide leadership in our region uh, together, and we gather several other brothers uh, from around the country once a year. We go, we pray together and connect and get in each other's lives and uh, provide some accountability and seek God for our churches and our families and the movement. Uh, but then also uh, we do something fun. And so a few years ago, we were doing something fun, and I was responsible for it. So I decided, let's go hiking through the Colorado Rockies. That'd be fun, right? And so we, we, took, we took the handful of brothers, just five of us were going out there on the Rockies and just having a great time. We got brothers from Philadelphia, from Washington, D.C., Nashville. So, of course, Morgan and I being from Texans, we are qualified to lead this, right? Because we're Texans. And we got a lot of things, and pride's one of them in Texas. And so, so we said, hey, we're going to lead this thing. So we got our maps out, and we're going around uh, the, this, this mountain. And it's been, it's so great. It starts out awesome. But then uh, an hour, what, what, what's an hour and a half uh, should be an hour and a half hike, turns into about a three, four hour hike, uh, mad dash to the, the gondola before it goes down and the sun is going down quickly and, and everyone's concerned. We've got one brother with altitude sickness and then Pastor James is worried. He's worried that we're going to end his life. So he gets on his phone and we get, he begins to question Morgan and I's leadership and he calls his wife and he begins to tell his wife, Morgan, Daniel have lost me. I'm up here on this mountain. If I don't come home and then he proceeds to get his last will and testament to his wife. And he lays that all out there. And then eventually, but I, I'm telling you, eventually, Morgan and I, after I give us four or five hours, we got down the mountain. We let him down. All that to say, you're in good hands with Morgan as, a, as your leader. 
Uh, I really feel like he is, he, uh, it may take him a while, but he's going to get to the right spot. Um, so l- listen, he's amazing. Matter of fact, uh, I, I will say I was a little concerned because, you know, the last couple years, uh, the UT football program, and I know you guys are probably, we got any UT students here? Can anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys like UT right there? That's, that's like, like, yeah, praise God you're reaching the campus. And I've just been concerned because there's, the last two years there's been a couple losses and you guys have lost to Turtle. Uh, the terrapins, uh, that's a fancy word for a turtle. And, and I think I was just praying through this because I know this is heavy on your heart. And I, I just, I think I know why. I think I know why. Um, and, and this is why. I don't want to throw shade on Morgan, but just, that's not UT colors. That's not burnt orange. And uh, so I don't know what the elders want to do about that. Um, or your leadership, just pray about it, whatever. I just think oh, that may be the reason you're losing the turtles right there. So you can talk to him about it when he gets back. Um, I'm, uh, I, I bring you greetings from Midland, Texas, from my family. Uh, me, my wife, Kayla, she's going to be here in the next service, and we have four kids. Uh, and we've been in Midland since 2002, and God's doing some cool stuff there. Uh, it's your sister church in, uh, it, there uh, in Midland, and uh, the last year has been pretty amazing. Uh, we launched uh, two new campuses uh, here at Easter this last year. Uh, one uh, was uh, a facility given to us in the mid- center of Midland. It's a Lutheran church that was declining. And they, uh, b- by the Spirit of God, wanted to continue on what they had started years ago and so saw that that could continue through giving us their building. They gave it to us for f- absolutely free. We sent out 150 leaders to launch something. And now this morning as we're worshiping, there's about 400 folks worshiping there um, in that place. Isn't that exciting? At the same time, on that same day, we launched uh, a new site in Odessa. We had about 75 leaders uh, of our Hispanic congregation, Mid-Cities in Espanol, rise up, and they're meeting on Odessa College to start a new work in Spanish. And we've seen that today. There's going to be about 250 to 280 people worshiping there on the campus in Odessa. So that's exciting. Uh, So yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. It's pretty cool. To be a part of what God's doing. And you're a part of that. You're a part of the, our success. And we get to be a part of what God's doing here, which I love to hear what God's doing at Mosaic and how you're changing lives and impacting lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, so today we're going to dive into the Word, and I'm excited. If you're taking notes, uh, the title of this is Arrival a new family. We're going to continue on with what you guys have been diving into. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, starting verse 1. Here we go. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit, and teach us and guide us through your word, that we might know you and understand what you've called us to do and what your family looks like in this moment and the reason you came and arrived over 2,000 years ago. In the name of Jesus, everybody said? Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin this message with um, a test. And I know that some of you students are like done with tests. You're ready for a break. But it's the best kind of test you could possibly imagine. It's a true or false test. How many like those, right? Right, because you got a 50% chance of getting it right. Even if you didn't study, you got 50%. So here's the test. We're going to start that Christmas is about family. True or false? Look at your neighbor. Tell them. Give them your answer. Be accountable to someone. Go ahead and tell them. Look over there. Say, I think it's true. I think it's false. 
Christmas is about family. Go ahead. Tell them. Like, you got to be accountable to somebody. Look at your neighbor. Just, this is a real test. You're going to be, well, the answer will be here in a minute. All right, you got it? All right, how many say true? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. True. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. Raise your hand false. You say it's not about, okay, thank you. All right, now listen, how many of you know, before I give you the answer, how many of you, how many of you know that no matter what you answered, that our culture absolutely said, that gives us the idea of Christmas about family, right? I mean, that just everywhere you look, like you watch those TV commercials, there's a Christmas tree and there's like the perfect family coming around and there's the puppy out of the box, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just looks so great. And then the gifts are about family and matter of fact, um, your schedule like kind of starts settling down a bit uh, oftentimes and like you have time with family and some of you are gonna travel if you're a student to go be with family and some of you are so excited because you got family coming in and there is, the holidays are a lot about family. There's a lot of family time. Matter of fact, when I was in, uh, when I was growing up, Kayla and I, we first got married. We grew up in Lubbock, met in Lubbock, uh, but we're all from around West Texas. She was born in Seminole, Texas. I have family in Welch and Plains and Denver. She had family in Denver City, Texas, small places. Uh, and then we moved to Midland and every, uh, right after we got married. So when Christmas would come around, we would take the Stevens West Texas tour. I mean, like we were hitting up every small town. We had a family member in there somewhere stopping for the seventh turkey dinner. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, stuffing, I'm so excited, right? Like, and, and you're pulling together the pie and the, the plates you're supposed to take and you're buying the gift for the person that you don't know who they are and you're like prepping each other in the car. Well, that's the cousin and they had a kid. Well, what's the kid's name? I don't know. What's the cousin's name? I don't know. When you see her, it's like, what's up, girl? Because you don't know, and that, like, that's just kind of how it goes, right? It's just, it's just how it plays out. And, and, and Christmas is, is about family and that way, and uh, that, that's so fun. But what if, what, if, what if it's not that fun? What if, what if Christmas is, um, for some, it's, it's actually kind of nauseating, right? Like you, 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 some of you are excited about it, but some of you just aren't that excited. The truth be told, you're like, man, I don't know if I want to enter into Christmas this year because it's that, like that one family member I got a problem with and it's unresolved. I'm going to see them. They're going to be there. It's like that one whole side of the family I don't even want to look at. They're going to be around. For some of you, your circumstances have changed and um, in the family, what used to be a joy is now really hard because of maybe loss that you've experienced. Uh, the truth of the matter is that you, some of you are, are excited about it, but, but it's become so exhausting, Christmas has. It feels like an American Ninja Warrior course you just finished. By the time you hit everything, you buy all the gifts, you do this, like you get to Christmas Day and you're just done, tapped out, like I'm just so glad I got through it. And I don't know where you find yourself this Christmas or what you think Christmas is about, but when we talk about the arrival of Christ... We're talking about family. So here's the answer to the question. Is Christmas about family? The answer is true. Ooh, look at your neighbor and say, I knew it. I got it right. <laughs> and you're like, but, but here's where you guys other, the, the false folks got it right too. Because it's about family, but it's not about that family. John here in the chapter 3 of verse 1 it says, literally, that uh, he, 
spoke of a new family that came into existence whose father is none other than God himself and you have been put into this new family. And uh, this family, John begins to explain even further more about this family in the book of John starting in chapter one. So take your Bible if you have it. Look over there, John chapter one. So we're going from 1 John to the book of John. John chapter 1, starting verse 1. And here he talks about this family in, deeper, in a deeper level. But he also talks about the arrival. Let's look at it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, get this, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. John in this passage is claiming something. What is he claiming? He's claiming that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the word. He's the the word incarnate. He is the true light that has entered into the world. This is the claim that John is making. In one of the most poetic, beautiful passages in all of scripture, John chapter one, he is saying that this, this, the one that was there at the beginning, the one that was there at creation, the one that was engaged in it all, God himself has come into the world through Jesus Christ. He is the word. He is the light. And that light has come to bring light to all men and that's good news. Everybody said, amen. Amen. This is good news. And with that, he has come, and there are those who did not receive him, and there are those who would not put their faith in him or believe him, but for those who did receive him, for those who did believe him, he gave them the right to be what? Children of God, a new family. He gave them a right through receiving Jesus, through believing in him, to absolutely be in an absolutely new family. And this new family has a father, and the father is God himself, and the siblings are you and I. Look at your neighbor and say, I knew you were my brother and sister. I knew it. I felt it when we sat down. You're my brother and my sister. Right there, right? John and the biblical, understood, biblical authors, listen, understood this. They understood that John was talking about this family, and this family is the church of God, the ecclesia, the gathering of God. For all time, for all people, it's a new family. And John goes on to give us the characteristics of this new family, this church that, 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 that is only made possible because of the arrival, because of what happened over 2,000 years ago when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
The Logos, the the light of the world came through Jesus Christ and he gave the right for anyone who put faith in him and believed in him to be children, be part of this family, sons and daughters of God. What does this new family look like? What does this new family look like? And this is what with the arrival of Christ comes this arrival of this new family, becomes the arrival of, of the church. What does this really look like? And in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, he goes on to describe it. And the first characteristic we see is negative, and the second one's positive. The first is this. It, this family is not characterized by sin. 1 John 3, verses 8 through 9. Look at 8 and 9. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is the, of, of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. One of the first characteristics we know about this family is this family is not characterized by sin. Now, here's what I know, and I think you know this too. I know this. I've been in church a long time. I became the senior pastor of my existing church when I was 26 years old. Before that, I was a youth pastor. Before that, I interned for church. Before that, I was in a youth group and I served on the leadership team. Before that, man, I was dragged to church by my parents. And if there was a hospital in the church, I would have been born there. That's how Christian I am. I'm so Christian. Now, some of you are like, man, I just came to faith. I'm so, I'm so grateful you just came to faith. But let me just tell you, we might have some, both of us, whether you grew up in the church or you just came to faith, here's the truth. We both got issues. And, and this familiarity with the church gives me kind of an expertise to say this. And I, I say it humbly and I say it truthfully. But all you church folks are a bunch of sinners. And I know because I am one. How many of you know people in church sin? Now, don't look at your spouse right now. Just stick with me. Don't nudge anybody. We're right here. Just right here, right? You know this and I know this because you've been around them. Christians sin. But here we just said, hey, man, Christians, this new family, you're not to, it's not characterized by sin. It's not, it's not, so what this is not saying, let me say what it's not saying. It's not saying that Christians are perfect and they never make mistakes and they never sin. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying that if you're in the new family, you're not characterized by your sin any longer. It's saying that you are no longer idolaters. You're no longer gossipers. You're no longer racist. You're no longer accusers. You're no longer these things. You're no longer sexually immoral. Your past doesn't characterize you or define you. What defines you is that you've been born not of men, but you've been born of God and adopted into a new family. And he's brought you into this family. And sin has no control over your life. And the reason it doesn't isn't because you're good. And it isn't because you're amazing. And it isn't because you tried real hard. But it's because of the power of Jesus Christ. One through his birth, death, and resurrection on the cross. Isn't that good news? Here's something that you need to know today. Your sin doesn't define you. 
Your sin has not characterized you. And here's the thing. When you are adopted into his family and you've been a recipient of his grace, when you've received the word, the true light, and you believed in him, there's something in us that changes. And it doesn't mean we don't struggle and have sin. It means we don't want to do that anymore and we're sure not going to be, have a life characterized by it. That's not who we are. Isn't that good news? Your past doesn't define you. Your sin and your struggle, it doesn't define you. You're in the family of God, and Jesus has paid for that, and you have victory through him. Amen? This is good news. So in the family of God, in the church that came with Jesus, listen, there is absolutely, we're not characterized by sin, but what are we characterized by? We are characterized by love. Everyone say love. Love. Look at 1 John 3, verse 10. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, here's what I no. Um, Morgan, uh, last week, talked about this. He talked about a new commandment. With the arrival of Christ comes this new commandment to love one another. And love is, is huge. It's so significant, this command to love one another. And here it's reiterated in chapter 3. John is hitting on this again. You are to love one another. But he brings out this illustration from the Old Testament. And the illustration is from Genesis chapter 4, where Cain is the enable of the sons of Adam and Eve. We've seen them fall into sin. We've seen sin take a hold of humanity, and it is made manifest in their sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain rises up because of jealousy and greed and anger in his heart, and he kills his brother. Now, even if you don't know the Bible, here's what you know. You know that this is a story that has even infiltrated our culture. For Cain, when he's asked by God what happened, he said, Who am I? Am I my brother's what? Keeper? This is the story of humanity. It's the story of a family that hated one another, a family that had resentment towards one another, a family that had anger, a family that had unforgiveness, a family that couldn't get over it, and instead enraged a family member who murdered his brother. That's the kind of family. But John is saying, you're not part of that family anymore. As a matter of fact, you're, the, the, what characterized Cain and Abel's relationship isn't what characterized your relationship with one another. What characterizes your relationship with one another at Mosaic, in your home, in your family, amongst the body of Christ, is that there is love, not hate. That there is love and forgiveness, not anger and resentment. That this is what's going to characterize you. Not the, you're in a new family. Not the family of Cain, but you're in the family of Jesus. And in the family of Jesus, man, there is love. Isn't that good news? So what does that look like? I mean, how, how do we love one another? What does it practically look like? Let's, let's look at verses 16 through 18. It actually gives us, John gives us a, a way forward. It says, by this we know love. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Remember, we're in a family. Here he's talking about brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and in truth. For our remaining time together, I just want to unpack these three verses for a second because I think, I think that in them we find some practical steps on how we love one another. The, the, first, the first thing we see about loving one another is that loving one another is self-sacrifice. To love one another the way he's called us to, like we're to be characterized by love. If we're characterized by love, then we as the family of God, as children of God, as brothers and sisters, are to be characterized by self-sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life for us. When he didn't have to, he chose to, and he willingly gave his life for you and for me. And in our society, in our culture, man, this is, a, this is something we don't get. The reason why is because everything kind of revolves around us. Our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions and our ideas and, and what we think is right and our own rights and our own things. And so everything is kind of me-centered. But this is about, not about me, it's about others. Self-sacrifice. The closest way we get to really understanding this is in the concept of marriage. And even in marriage, it's hard, but marriage kind of gets it, right? How many of you have been married for a while and you know it takes self-sacrifice? When you first get married, it's like, hey, I want to sleep on the left side of the bed. And she's like, well, I always sleep on the left side of the bed. What? Well, I'm sorry. Now you get to get used to the right. <laughs> no, you sleep on the right. No. And this is your big fight. And all you're calling your mom and dad, I don't know what I did marrying this guy, right? Fast forward five years, right? And there's, there's still other issues. It's like, man, this baby has cried for the seventh time. I'm hoping she gets up because I'm not going to get up this time. <laughs> right? Come on, young parents. I see some nudges. I see some hands. It's like chicken wings going on over there. It's like, hey, what's... It's marriage is about self-sacrifice. And then if you think, well, I got that figured out, then kids come along and they expect you to like serve them. Matter of fact, I didn't even know this. They can't even feed themselves the first couple of years. You got to help them go to the bathroom. I mean, they're everything. It's all about self-sacrifice. It's all about, hey, I'm going to put their needs ahead of mine. I'm going to prefer them over myself. It's all about sacrifice. But man, it, we get this a little bit in, 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 in the family idea or the idea of marriage. But when it comes to church, when it comes to the brothers and sisters in Christ, this idea goes out the window because it really is all about convenience, not about sacrifice. I was talking to a guy I work out with. I think he knows what I do, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he knows. And he was telling me as we're working out, he said, you know what? He said, my, he goes to a different church. He said, my, one of the pastors on staff called me the other day and asked me to count the offering after, after church. And he said it like, can you believe that he would ask me to do that? And I said, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, but I told him. I said, man, we're only in town like 50% of the time. We like to travel. We're going around and like, how could I possibly do that? But then he says, he, he asked me like, why don't, well, why don't you just, you know, pick a service, and when you're in town, you can serve and count the offering during that service. He said, but 
we don't always go to the same service. Sometimes we go to 9. Sometimes we go to 11 o'clock. It just depends on what happened the night before and kind of what's going on in our lives, what we're feeling in that moment. How could I ever commit to that? And he's looking at me with a straight face. And, and he says, he, and so the pastor asked him, he said, you know, do you think you could, you know, maybe just commit to a service and count it that one? He says, can you believe he asked me to do that? And I looked at this guy, I was like, yes, I can. <laughs> matter of fact, matter of fact, I, I wanted to ask him, do you know what I do for a living, right? Because for some reason, we can be committed to a workout we can be committed to show up and to work on time. We can be committed to all these other things. But like when the church says, hey, come and commit to serving kids. Come and serve in the parking lot. Come and engage people so that when someone walks into this building here to, next week, that they can be greeted. And maybe because you're watching the kids, maybe because you greeted them, maybe because you set up the chairs, maybe because you sacrificed whatever it was you were doing and you decided to come from San Antonio Lake because you had a commitment that morning. Or you decide, I'm not going to call in sick because I'm not really sick. I'm just tired or whatever the case may be, all of a sudden their lives are changed. They encounter Jesus and they encounter Jesus and you show God's love in a practical way through your sacrifice. Does that make sense? See, 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 we, we understand this in marriage a little bit. I, I've done enough marriage counseling, you know, we don't really understand it there either. We don't really understand. It's still about what I get instead of what I give. But this is what John is saying to us. Jesus came, the word, the light, because he not only wants to destroy the works of the devil, and he did, but he put you into a new family, and that family is characterized by the sacrifice that he modeled just for you and me, and his family will be represented by sacrifice. Does this make sense? So as a body of Christ, man, self-sacrifice is one of the things that God does within us. Morgan and I were ministering in Houston not long ago and uh, with our City Life Church, a, fam- a part of our Every Nation family, and we were there talking to them about Hurricane Harvey. And I don't know if you knew this, but, you know, you have over 200,000 homes that were, that were reported that were uh, absolutely ruined by this storm. Many more beyond that that were in the Houston area. But they, uh, the Texas Tribune has reported that 10% of those that were displaced still, as of a couple months ago, aren't able to even go back into their homes. And you know what our team in Houston on the ground's doing? Once a month, they're still taking the resources that you guys and us and others so generously gave. They're taking those resources, they're taking their people, and they're going to serve those that aren't in their home yet. And is that because they have nothing better to do? Is that because they're going, you know what, I'm just going to kind of, I got nothing else to do. And like, I'm just, I'm just, no, it's because there's, there's this drive as a family of God, as a church that we've got, God's called us to love and love is self-sacrificing in a way. It's a choice and we've got to engage in that choice. Jesus laid down his life for us. So we'll lay down our lives for one another. It happens corporately like that, but it also happens in the pew and the chair as well. I'm going to prefer you over me. I'm going to lay down my life for you and my expectations. And this is what love looks like. But it's not just characterized by self-sacrifice. It's also characterized by generosity. Everyone say generosity. 
says, if anyone in the verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Man, this is so prevalent when you read the book of Acts. It says that, they're, that, that, that they shared with one another and that there was no need because of the generosity of one to another. Was that because there was no poverty? Was that because there was no problems? No, it's because when people saw the need, they met the need. And God's family, the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, are to be marked not just by self-sacrifice, but by generosity. That we see a need and we meet it. And one of the challenges in today's culture is that we live in a global world, do we not? And the truth of the matter is, there is global need everywhere. If you look 20 or 30 years ago, uh, there would be a a tsunami in Tanzania. Uh, Tanzania can't have a tsunami. Somewhere else, all right, that's actually on an ocean, all right? There's a tsunami in one of those places. I don't know my, as I'm a pastor, not a geographist. Is that a, all right, we'll just skip that part. Maybe just erase that. There's a tsunami somewhere. Let's agree to that. There's a tornado somewhere else. There's a genocide over here. And you know what? You didn't know about any of it. You just went to work and had a good day. Now you get an alert. Hey, do you know about this genocide? You know about this thing? You know about this thing? You know about this thing? So you're just, Daniel, there's so much need. How can I even make a difference? Right? Have you ever felt that? Did you know the seventh biggest cause of stress in the American adult today is how much media they're taking in. And it's on the rise. Boom, boom, boom. It'll be, it'll, it'll be up there soon to the top five and beyond. How do, we even de- how do we even determine? Here's how. Listen, God's not called you to meet all the needs. He's called you to meet the needs right in front of you. If you want to simplify it, here's, here's, he's called you to meet. I mean, it, it, I've had this happen to me before. Pastor, man, there's this guy. He ha- he's in my neighborhood. He has some need. I said, oh. Awesome. What are you doing to meet that need? Oh, uh, well, that's why I brought it to you. Okay, well, like, man, like, once you get on board, then you tell me what you've done, then maybe we'll chip in too. But, like, if you don't see that you're the one that God's brought him right in front of you for you to meet that need, and then if you need help with it, invite us. Let's come alongside you. But listen, so many times we want to outsource love. But listen to me, church. Love can't be outsourced. It's us engaging in the world around us with self-sacrifice and generosity. Amen? And generosity is what marked you. Man, I see this. Man, the backpacks, what you're doing on Kai Street, all these things. That's amazing. You're making a difference in your community. You're coming alongside and saying, man, I'm going to prioritize generosity because that is exactly what the family of God does. They live generously. And that's what we're called to do. We do it individually. We do it as a church. But did you know, even as a movement, we do this. It It was just last year we were praying about uh, what would happen in uh, the summer of uh, 2019 when we would host our world conference for our Every Nation family. And we have pastors all over the globe, places like Vietnam and Sierra Leone and South Africa and all over the globe that are coming together to America to be equipped and encouraged in their faith. And many of those pastors and campus ministries, campus missionaries that are on the front line couldn't afford to come. So Morgan and myself and others came together and said, hey, what are we going to do about this? We began to pray and seek God. We said, let's figure out a way 
to make, help them come. And I'm so delighted to report to you, we have over $403,000 committed to those pastors and leaders all over the globe, and you're a part of that generosity. Isn't that awesome? You get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of something bigger. So here's what we believe. As a family of God, we don't consume everything God gives us. He gives us some of it to give away. You get a raise, you go, oh, I'm getting that new truck. Maybe not. Maybe not. You know why? Because you're not the king of your finances. Jesus is. He's the king of your finances, and he's the king of your life, and he's the king. So God, King Jesus, what do you want to do with this money? What do you want to do with my time? What do you want to do, Jesus? That's what characterizes our family. Not just self-sacrifice, not just generosity, but action. Everyone say action. Less talk and more action. Matter of fact, this final word is so strong. It, it, it's this, little children, let us not love with talk, but in deed and in truth. Man, I tell you what, uh, this is so good, and, and we just gotta camp out here for a moment before we close, because, because it is, it's just true. People like to talk, but don't always like to do. Isn't that true? But I will tell you this, when I've done a marriage, I've done lots of weddings. I was just at a wedding here in Austin uh, last night. It was a beautiful wedding. I, I've never, when I've sat across a couple, talked to them, I've never yet heard someone say, we don't really love each other. I mean, nobody, nobody yet has said, you know what, they're okay, but, you know, so I've just decided to go for it, you know, whatever. All of them are like, oh, our story is so special. Let me show you on my Instagram how he proposed. And so then I'm like, how are you going to feel in five years when, like, he hasn't done anything romantic in, say, five years? (laughs) All right? Nobody. They all say they love each other. Nobody says they don't. They all say they love each other, and words are important. James tells us in the book of James, words matter. They're really important to us. That matters, but you know what? When you get married, it's the actions that really matter. Isn't that true? Yes, words matter. Yes, but you know what? What are we going to actually do? Not just what we say. We can make our vows but are we going to choose to align our lives with our vows, with our spouse? Amen? Our action has to line up with our values and our word. And this is what characterizes the body of Christ. This is what characterizes the church, the family of God, is that they don't just love sacrificially. They don't just love in a way that's generous, but they actually do what they say. They are people of action. This has been played out in so many ways, even at Mosaic. You guys are adopting schools and mentoring kids, and you guys are serving the underprivileged in your community. You're doing an amazing job. I'm sure it's happening in individual lives. And let me tell you, it's happening on a corporate level too. This became apparent to us that we needed to do some action just a few years ago. And Kayla and I were talking uh, about our family. And we were having kind of a discussion, if you will, about our family, and we had three kids, and she says, we need more, we need to adopt. She says, yes. I said, no. She says, Will you, well, have you prayed about it? I was like, of course not, because <laughs> then God might tell me to do it, and I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> so then she challenged me, you're a pastor. I said, I know. Don't you think I know God better than you? She said, no. <laughs> the gall. 
Can you believe her? And I know, right? So then I said, I said, I said, okay, well, I will pray about it. And she's like, good, because you're a pastor and they're supposed to do those things. <laughs> All right. So I prayed and I prayed and God changed my heart and he changed my mind. How many of you know God can change hearts? And he changed my heart and mind. We decided to get involved. We got in the foster community. And once we got involved in the foster community, we started getting foster kids in our home. And once we got foster kids in our home, we started loving them. And then we had to give them back. And oh, that was hard. We had to love the families around them too and pray that God would restore them and that was hard. And then oh, God brought us a little girl that we thought maybe God, you're bringing her to us long term and absolutely he was and we adopted her. And in this process, I discovered that 56% of the kids that were taken in in the Permian Basin in our area of Texas were sent outside the region because there wasn't enough homes. So if they got taken from their family, they don't just get taken from their family, they get taken from their school, they get taken from their community, they get taken from everybody. And they're sent to maybe even places like Austin or surrounding communities to find homes for them. And I just as a leader in our community, as a pastor, I said, this doesn't make sense to me. So I gathered up 20 other churches in our community and we started talking about it and the experts in the field, and we started praying about it and we started the One More Home Initiative where we had, we had uh, churches begin to call the church together to open up their homes to deal with the foster care crisis, the orphan crisis that was existing within our community. And man, families stood up and families you would never expect said, ah, God's called us to do this, God's called us and they would engage kids and they brought them in and it was, I'd love love to tell you it was a happy ever after story, but it was hard because loving people is hard in a broken world. It's romantic, but it's hard. Marriage is a romantic idea, but it's hard. Come on, married people. You know what I'm talking about. Having kids, it's amazing, but it's hard. Like all of these things are awesome. Love is amazing, but it's hard. And it ran its course, and it did, that initiative did well for a few years. And then several of us like-minded brothers and sisters from various churches came together and said, you know what, God's called us to even elevate this to another level. And we came together to establish an organization that's going to take responsibility for the orphans in our entire region in the coming years. And I want to say, I'm not doing this because I got nothing on my plate. I'm not doing this because it's like, you know what? I just, gosh, I'm kind of just hanging out now. We've got four campuses. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> Morgan seems all right. I get to leave him alone. I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm not just like looking. For, here's why. Because God puts things on your plate, and he calls his children to take action. Because the church doesn't just sit by and watch culture. We engage in it. And we say, you know what? We're going to engage in this world. We're going to engage people that are hard to love. We're going to get involved in things that are tangled up. And we're going to get involved because we believe that the light of the world, the Logos, he came 2,000 years ago. And because he came, he put me in a family. And I'm to be characterized by the same love he showed me. Sacrifice and generosity and action. And I can't just sit there and watch it happen. No, no, no. I got to engage in the world around me. So we love. And you know what? As, as we were, as I was thinking about you guys and praying for you in this moment, knowing that Jesus came to put us in a new family, that absolutely family 
Christmas is about family, but it isn't actually about your biological family. It's about the family that Jesus came to put you in, his spiritual family. Now, some of you are taking that too far right now. Right now, I can see in your eyes, you're going, that sounds weird and cultish, Daniel. Are you saying I don't have a natural family? No, I'm not. I'm saying you embrace your natural family. But God's put you in a spiritual family that characterizes your life. And if your family is messed up, as many families are, if your family is tough to walk into this Christmas, if it's characterized maybe by sin and not by these three things we talked about, love, self-sacrifice, and generosity, then what you do here and with one another can train you to change the culture in your biological family too. How you serve one another, how you love one another, how you get along. It isn't just for church. This is a training ground for you to go out there and do that on the campus and in your workplace and with your family. But here's what I've discovered, and we're going to close with this. I've discovered it's really hard. It's really hard to love people sacrificially. It's really hard to be generous. It's really hard to show action and love when you're hanging on to unforgiveness and resentment. When you're hanging on to anger and frustration, some of the same things that tripped up Cain so many years ago. Man, it's so hard to love. And my desire and my prayer for myself and you this Christmas is that because Jesus came, because of his arrival, he's brought you into this new family. And because of the way you're serving and loving one another here, you're able to take that and walk into your home this Christmas and be self-sacrificing and be generous and show action. But that's hard to do when you're holding on to things. And here's what I think God wants to do today. I think he wants to break some of those things off in people's minds and hearts. The resentment and the fear and the anger. If that's you today, I just want you to stand up wherever you are. I want to pray with you. Say, hey, I just need God to do something in my heart so I can go back into my family this Christmas. Stand up wherever you are. I want to pray with you. And if you're standing, I just want you to put your hands out like this, like you're giving God something and you're receiving because I believe that's what we need to do. We've got to give him something and we want to receive whatever he has for us. If you would, let's bow our heads. Father, you see these hearts and these hands. You know exactly what's happening their minds and their hearts. You know Father their family dynamic and why maybe even Christmas is hard and the family dynamic is hard, whatever the case may be. But God, I ask right now that you would come and remind them that they as sons and daughters of God in this family are called to love with the love that you've loved them. A sacrificial generous love of action and a choice not just an emotion or a feeling. And I pray as they lay this anger, this resentment, this unforgiveness, whatever it is that's put on their heart, God, I just pray they would lay it out before you. And as they do, God, you would give them that peace that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You'd fill them with hope and life and love for them to love the people around them, their family this Christmas. Thank you that you came and you brought us into a new family. Our identity is beyond what our natural family gave us. It's what you declare in the 
name and the authority of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,